pursue your purpose, speak your truth, deal with adult bullies, cope with failure, live beyond fear, establish values, set boundaries, move past trauma. These are all the themes in my Amazon bestseller, The Smart Girls Handbook. Tribers get in close. For 15 years, I have been searching for a book that didn't exist. So I am thrilled to share that I decided to write it. The Smart Girls Handbook is available to buy now from wherever you get your books and also in Canada, the United States of America, New Zealand and Australia. Everything we do is a response to something you have asked for and girl, have you been begging me for a book for years? Who is it for you? The reviews are outstanding. The press has been phenomenal and I am overwhelmed by the amazing support it has had already. This isn't my book, but our book. I realised after my talks around the world, women would be queuing for hours just to ask me one question. I didn't want them to just walk away, but to have a tangible source to have forever. And this is it. This is refreshing, never before read content that will inspire, motivate, empower, inform and entertain you. It's full of my personal development tips that have got me living as my most authentic and highest self, literally glowing from within. My most vulnerable moments and hilarious stories that will resonate with you. The Smart Girls Handbook is a celebration of womanhood and the book missing from your library. So grab your copy today, tag me on Instagram at smartgirltribe and I will send you an exclusive gift just to say thank you. Hello Smart Girls, happy 2023. I hope you all had a beautiful and magical festive season. This is our first episode of the new year and what a way to start. You have been dying for an episode on Enneagrams so of course I called in the leading expert in this field Ashton Whitmoyer Ober. Ashton is a professor, author, public speaker and certified Enneagram educator and after listening to this episode you will know everything about Enneagrams in general but also your Enneagram so let's dive in. Hi Ashton, it is fantastic to have you on the Smart Girl Tribe podcast today. I am so excited about this conversation. Could you please explain to our audience what an Enneagram is, please? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here and excited to connect with all of your people. It's not about your behaviors. So, you know, you're it's not about you being driven or motivated or um, you know, an extrovert or an introvert, the Enneagram is about the motivations. We could all be doing the same behavior, but it's a different motivation for each of us based on the nine different types of the Enneagram. And the Enneagram is a very old system. It's like between two to 4,000 years old. Um, it has been studied for a long time. It's been, um, you know, it started over the East, just made its way internationally. So it's something that's used um, in multiple languages, in multiple countries. Could you just, Ashton, give an overview of each one, please? Yeah, so the one is the reformer. So their biggest fear is that they um, will be seen as a bad person, or that they'll do the wrong thing. The two is the helper. Their biggest desire is to be loved and wanted and needed and appreciated by others. And then their biggest fear is being unloved or unwanted. The three is the ever. Their biggest desire is to succeed. They want to be seen as competent and capable of getting the job done. And then their biggest fear is typically failure or then being seen as incompetent. The four is the individualist. Their biggest desire is to be seen as unique or special or different. And then their biggest fear is that they're defective. 
the Enneagram five is the investigator. So their biggest desire is to be knowledgeable. And then they want other people to know that they know the things. So they want to be knowledgeable. They also want to be competent in their own way. And then their biggest fear is being ignorant or not knowing something or having their personal space or resources invaded on. The six is the loyalist. Their biggest desire is to be safe and secure and to seek guidance from other people. And then their biggest fear is typically fear itself. The seven is the enthusiast. So their biggest desire is to have fun. So they do want to have fun, but they mostly are seeking contentment. So they want to be content in all of, in all of the things that they do. And then their biggest fear, they do have that FOMO. They do have that fear of missing out, but ultimately they have this fear of being trapped in emotional pain or negativity. The eight is the challenger. Their biggest desire is to protect themselves and other people. And then the nine is the peacemaker. Their biggest desire is to maintain a peaceful environment for themselves and for other people. And then their biggest fear is typically conflict, being separated from the people that they love. Wow, that is a lot of content to digest, Ashton. Wow. And I would love to know, how does knowing our Enneagram help us both professionally and personally? Because, you know, once we understand our motivations for why we do the things that we do, we can start to change behaviors in ourselves that we might not like. And then similarly with other people, you know, if we're in a workplace situation and we're trying to figure out why our coworkers' behavior is bothering us or annoying us, once we understand what they're motivated by, it can help, you know, be able to offer more empathy and understanding to the people around us. What shapes your number, Ashton? What impacts it? Is this a case of nurture or nature? Most Enneagram experts would say that you are born with your type. You just can't identify what your type is until you have the language to speak about what your motivations actually are. So it is more of that at um, nature versus nurture, where your type is just what it is. And that's why you can look at families and siblings and see similar life experiences, but two different types. Now you should be able, or multiple different types, you should be able to look back in your life and see how you've gone through different life experiences as your type. And that might, um, change like your behaviors could maybe change but your motivation should ultimately stay the same and what age would you recommend for someone to take the enneagram test so i always say that um we really shouldn't be testing children until they're in their teens Mm -hmm. so 13 and up again when they start to be able to communicate about why they're doing things a certain way But my thoughts on tests in general is they're often a great place to start, but you have to continue to do your own research because they aren't always accurate. You know, we are humans. Sometimes we answer questions in ways that we want other people to perceive us. Even if we swear up and down, we're not doing that. And then 
oftentimes we answer questions in tests based on our behavior. And we learned now that the Enneagram is about your motivations, not your behaviors. So it can be really difficult to get to your motivations when taking a test. And that's why we resort to our behavior. Can our Enneagram number change? Your Enneagram type will not change. Your, Like I said, your behavior should change. Mm -hmm. Your wings, so the wings are the numbers on either side of your your main type. It pull characteristics from them. So for example, I'm a two, and so my wings would either be a one or a three. And those can change. Those can fluctuate back and forth. So maybe, you know, in work, I feel like I'm more of a two wing three, but maybe, you know, in different situations, I feel more of a two wing one. So the wings can fluctuate as long as they're on either side of your main type, but your main type will not change. What's the first thing you should do once you know what Enneagram type you are? I always say to to do a deep dive, you know, do a deep dive into the healthy versus unhealthy characteristics because you have have to determine where you are and where you want to go. You know, are you living in a spot of growth where you are, you know, demonstrating the healthy qualities of your type? Or are you living in a spot of stress where you're demonstrating some of those not so great qualities and bringing those qualities into your everyday life? So I always say explore those healthy versus unhealthy characteristics, what we refer to as your levels of development to see where you need to go. Being the leading expert in this field, Ashton, has it changed how you approach people? Do you think, oh, you must be a two or that's nine behavior? I try not to automatically type people, you know, when I'm interacting with them, um, because at the end of the day, they are showing me their behaviors instead of their motivations. But I'd be lying if I said that I didn't do that, right? There are times where I, you know, make those assumptions. But as far as my relationships as a whole go, um, it's totally changed the way that I interact with my family members, my spouse, my friends, because I know those key pieces of them and their motivations and what they're actually afraid of. And so it has changed the way that I communicate, the way that I Um, work through conflict and, you know, just interact with them as a whole. Can you explain, Ashton, how our Enneagram number changes when we are in stress and when we are in growth? Yeah, so the Enneagram is actually a symbol and the nine different types are around a circle with different lines connecting the types. And those lines do mean something and they are called our stress nine or stress line and our growth line. So we each have a number that we go to when we're stressed and then when we're in growth. And we typically take on the negative qualities of our stress line when stressed and the positive qualities of our growth line when we are in growth. So for example, ones, when they're stressed, they will uh, withdraw into their emotions. They they can become moody, depressed, self-absorbed like a four. But when they're really healthy, they can be more extroverted and outgoing and life of the party and look at the glass half full like a seven. Twos will be a little bit more sharp with their tone. Um, They can be a little bit aggressive like an eight. And then when they're healthy or in a growth period, 
they can be more introspective, reflective, and put their own needs first, like a four. Threes, when they're stressed, they can become a little sloth-like, so unmotivated, not driven, kind of just overwhelmed at all of the things that they have to do that they don't do any of them. And then when they're in growth, they become a six, which looks like being team-oriented, community-driven, focused on their values and, and teamwork and responsibility. The four, when they're stressed, they can become a little bit needy, have a hard time saying no, um, overly accommodating like a two. And then when they are healthy, they can be structured and organized and orderly like a one. Fives, when they're stressed, they'll be a little bit scattered, unfocused. But when they're healthy, they can be direct, confident, assertive like an eight. Sixes, when they're stressed, they will go to the three. And that looks like being a little bit of a workaholic. Um, wanting to, you know, step on other people to get ahead, even a little bit more self-focused. And then when they're healthy or in a state of growth, they can look like a nine. And that looks like uh, being able to go with the flow, viewing multiple perspectives, taking things as they come. The seven, when they're stressed, they can become critical and judgmental, like a one, critical of self and critical of others. And then when they're healthy, they'll be able to chill out a little bit. They go to the five. They rely on their own knowledge, their own research, and not have to be on the go so much. The eight, when they're stressed, they will withdraw completely, shut everybody out, put up high walls, high boundaries like the five. And then when they're really healthy or in growth, they can be very altruistic, helpful, empathetic like the two. And then the nine, when they're stressed, they can become worried, anxious, think about worst case scenarios. And then when they're healthy, they will go to the three. So they'll be very motivated, driven, a goal getter, self-starter, things like that. So at the end of the day, even though we have one main type, we're actually connected to five different types because we have our main type the wings on either side of our type, and then our stress number, and then our growth number. Mm -hmm. I understand. And how much of your Enneagram type, how much can it impact your relationship? What does your Enneagram type look like in relationship? The number one question I always get is like, what type is best for me? And it isn't so much a compatibility thing as it is an understanding thing. That if you have, you know, an Enneagram one and an Enneagram seven, that then you look at those characteristics of the one and the seven and you learn how to better understand each other. Because even if you have the best type combination, you could still have two really unhealthy people within that combination. So you first have to focus on yourself, becoming a healthy version of yourself and then exploring what um, that partnership would look like with other types. And yeah, it just, it's a great tool to be able to communicate better, to be able to understand each other better. And like I said before, um, it helps to be able to show empathy towards some of those 
behaviors that might annoy you or drive you crazy or you just might not understand. Okay. Are there any beliefs, Ashton, around the Enneagram types that are incorrect or wrong? There are a couple of platforms that will say that your type can change. And that one kind of irks me a little bit because, um, like I said, most Enneagram experts would say that your type will not change. There are, um, you know, some that will say your wing is your second highest score and that's incorrect. Your wing can only be your second highest score if it's on either side of your main type. So when people say things like, I'm a seven wing three, you know, that's not possible because your (laughs) wings have to be next to your type on the Enneagram. (laughs) Drives me crazy. Um, So yes, those are, I mean, I'm sure there are others. Being the expert, Ashton, do you ever walk around thinking, gosh, I'm being such a two today, or that's so three of me. All the time. Um, But that's part of the growth, right? Because if we have that realization that we're doing that and able to identify those behaviors, if they're not great behaviors, you know, we can start to work to change those behaviors and stop yourself from continuing in that cycle. Okay, Ashton, let's dive in. It's about to get uncomfortable. It is about to get intimate. I am a three. So what does a three look like at her best and her worst? So a three at their worst is going to be a super workaholic individual. They just want to keep being because they feel valuable when they do. And then that, then that can lead into a lot of burnout, you know, and a lot of um, identity issues, feeling like you don't know who you are aside from the work that you're doing. And also, you know, they're known when they're unhealthy to be a little bit self-focused, only thinking about their own goals, getting ahead, how they can find the ladder, so to speak, and not really thinking about other people. That's at their, at their worst, you know? <laughs> um, there are a lot of healthy threes out there who have a healthy work-life balance who, you know, are able to encourage other people. Threes are really great at encouraging others. They, you know, set and achieve goals. They're very motivated and driven. They always get things done. If you need anything done, you just give it to a three. Are threes people pleasers? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. The twos, the threes, and the fours are the most people pleasers. Mm. of the of all of the types and remember that's because the threes kind of tie their value and their worth into what they do and therefore they want to please other people with what they do so they want to be seen as competent capable they want to be respected by people and so because of because other people are part of you know what they desire it causes them to be people pleasers now this is a really fascinating question um female threes different from male threes? A type is just a type, but the stereotypes could be different. Enneagram males can be celebrated, right, for all of the things that they're doing to achieve X, Y, Z in their life. Where an Enneagram three female, you know, it's been harder to climb that social ladder, so to speak. So the way that people are viewed or the way that people view those types could be different based on male versus female, similar to eights as well. Male eight is sometimes um, 
glorified where the female eight is called, you know, aggressive. So sometimes uh, gender roles can play into the types. Okay, what does a three struggle with most of all? It's definitely that, that identity. And it's partially because they want to be every to everyone because of the fact that they tie their value into what they're doing. So threes are really good at being chameleons where they can kind of, they know who they need to be in order to secure the deal, to land the job, like whatever that looks like. Um, but it is that identity piece. So really losing who they are because they've been so busy being all of those other roles. Because typically threes are the high achievers, they are the performers, do you think they will ever find peace because they are pretty much always trying to achieve something? It's not really about if they'll find peace. I mean, of course, part of being okay with yourself is um, the kind of peace that comes with it. But it's about... um, you know, being okay with who you are, aside from the work that you do, knowing who you are, aside from what you're doing, always going to be benefits to trying to achieve something. It's just being able to have boundaries and know when it's time to rest and when it's time to work. How does a three need to be loved, Ashton? They love to have their achievements celebrated. So they like to be validated, um, but also shown by example, picking up some of the slack around, you know, the house, the apartment, whatever. Mm -hmm. What is the connection between our Enneagram type and our love language? Um, So, you know, love languages are really focused on more so of those behaviors, but there are different love languages that do relate to some of the types or do tie into some of the types. Um, Like for example, words of affirmation is going to be really helpful for twos and threes who really like, and fours who really like that validation. Um, Quality time, you know, might be better for sixes who look at that as feeling safe, you know, so it always comes back to those motivations on why they prefer a different love language. Is there one number people typically are? Is it quite popular to be a three, to be a four, to be a five? Or considering everyone, is it actually fairly spread out? It is pretty spread out. In general, um, men will score high as a two or relate to more of the two characteristics because we're taught to be loving and caring and helpful and, you know, all of those different characteristics that um, are displayed in a two, but that won't, that ultimately won't be these people's main type. It's just that they can relate to that. So it's what we call a mistype at times. Um, But for the most part, it's just spread across all of the different numbers. Okay. What combinations would struggle the most to be with one another? Um, There's no like good or bad combination. It's just understanding each other's Enneagram types and motivations behind doing things. But, you know, so anybody who is considered unhealthy in their type is going to be an unhealthy pairing or an unhealthy combination. I know that people tend to do this with star signs. 
is there any combination that works best or any numbers that work better together? Depends. You know, the threes and the eights are going to share a work ethic. The ones and the threes are going to share a work ethic. But then, you know, the twos and the threes might be able to balance each other out. So it really does just depend on the type combination. Being newly single, Ashton, and being a three, are there any types I should be avoiding? Um, The three and the eight combination is going to be intense. That's what I always say about the three and the eight. And oftentimes, um, you know, people both kind of want to be in charge. So it might, that might clash in that sort of way. Um, But all of the other types, um, it's just about, you know, figuring out what works best for you as a combination. People tend to love as they want to be loved. So what Enneagram type is the guiltiest of doing this? I always think about the fours, just when I think about love in general, because they are sometimes referred to as the romantic, they're super passionate, um, and, you know, experience their emotions on a very deep level. And so um, they're probably the ones who, you know, are are going to show love in that sort of way. But then also um, twos where they want to take care of people, but they want to be taken care of themselves. Really what we call is the um, heart triad, which means you receive your information through your heart and then you feel about things before you respond. Those are your twos, threes, and fours. So they're going to be the ones who... Um, demonstrate that in a little bit more than others. Let's just say, Ashton, I was hanging out with my girlfriends. Is it more beneficial if they are also the Enneagram type three, or is it more beneficial that they be different? There are benefits to both, because if you have a shared type, then you have some shared ways of thinking and shared ways of viewing the world. If you have a different type, then you can kind of balance each other out. But it's important then that you understand that not everybody is going to do something the way that you the way that you do it. Okay. What is the most common Enneagram type question you are asked, Ashton? Always about relationships. (laughs) (laughs) Always about relationships. And then and then and always about what is the most common type. And I think I already said, like, it's kind of across the board. You can't even um, quantify it. Okay. What is something you wish people knew about Enneagrams? Just how impactful it can be in people's lives. And that it's more than just a test. You know, people think they can take a personality test and then they just go on with that information. But what I love about the Enneagram is that it actually is a tool to help you move forward. And it's not meant to be like in one ear and out the other. It's okay, I have this knowledge, now what do I do with it? Okay, so having established that I am a three, that's my Enneagram type, Ashton, what would you recommend I go and do after this? What should be a takeaway for me and for all of my other threes out there being able to you know say this is the time that I'm working and this is the time that I'm not even going to think about it um Mm -hmm. I know that makes it especially difficult for people who own their own businesses (laughs) when their business literally is their life um but it's important to you know establish routine establish a an opportunity to just close your mind off from 
all of the work that you're doing. Okay, and how should each number be loved, Ashton? So for ones, ones do value um, any sort of like acts of service. So chipping in with household duties. For twos, like I said before, words of affirmation are going to be huge. Um, but also, you know, quality time could be really great for twos and threes too, who are used to spending time on other things, whether it be projects or other people. Um, for fours, I'd also probably say words of affirmation. They also really seek validation from other people. Fives, it's probably going to be maybe gifts or quality time on their terms, on their schedule. Sixes, remember they're focused on safety, so that could also be quality time. It could also be um, words of affirmation, you know, if something that you're saying is making them feel safe and secure. Sevens is, is most likely going to be quality time or acts of service. Sevens love to experience new things, go on adventures, and so um, the quality time piece could include that. Eights, acts of service, so taking something off of their load, being able to um, take things over is going to be really important for eights. And then nines are probably quality time. Um, yeah, probably just spending some quality time, maybe some gifts things like that, anything that helps them to feel peaceful. Can some people be different from their Enneagram types? I mean, my audience will know very, very well that I am a workaholic, I love my job, but can any, could there be a three out there who isn't work-orientated, for instance? Yeah, and it can, the work can look different, right? So I have like stay-at-home moms, right, who are threes, and they're, they're seeing some of the stereotypes on social media and thinking like, I can't be a three because I am at home. And it's how you view your work. So are you viewing, you know, your job as a stay-at-home mom as you need to be the best, do the best, you're achieving in that sort of capacity versus somebody who, you know, is an entrepreneur, somebody who is working outside of the home how they're viewing their work. So um, for threes, it is, you know, success achievement oriented. It just could look different based on the specific line of work. What is the best thing about each type, Ashton? I love that ones are organized. They like can make um, peace out of chaos. I love that twos are very helpful and caring and kind and just always there for people. I love that threes are big cheerleaders and they're hard workers. And if you give them a task to do, they're going to do it. I love that fours can view even the simplest things in life as beautiful. They, you know, view um, aesthetics and scenery and just really appreciate the small stuff. I love that fives, you're able to rely on them for the knowledge and to answer a question. You can, they're almost like your own Google. <laughs> Sixes, I just love their loyalty and their steadfastness and how trustworthy they are and honest. Sevens, I just love their joy and their energy and their positivity. 
eights. I love their desire to protect people, especially the people who need to be protected or who, you know, might um, need some extra assistance. And then nines, I love their ability to be able to see all perspectives and all sides and to just, you know, get along with everybody and want to get along with everybody. What does each type really need to work on? For ones, it's really about um, releasing the control related to perfection. So being okay with when things are done, even if they aren't done perfectly. And then being okay if people don't do things the way that they do them. Ones sound like Monica Geller's Ashton. It is. I mean, a lot of people would say that Monica's a one. <laughs> I can mm-hmm. see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Twos, they really need to work on taking care of themselves. They need to um, put their own needs first and release that need to um, constantly be doing things for other people because that leads to burnout. Threes, we talked about they need to boundaries and work on that work-life relationship. Um, fours, they need to work on being okay with who they are and releasing some of that comparison, being able to, um, you know, just not be envious of other people and just being confident in who they are and what they have. Fives need to step outside of their comfort zone a little bit. They need to tap into their emotions a little bit more and to trust other people. Sixes also need to release some of that uh, worst case scenario thinking, those anxiety thoughts and feelings, the worries that they might experience and step into their own confidence. Sevens need to work on focusing Sometimes they have a hard time following through on tasks because they're always thinking about the next thing. And so really just being present in the moment can be helpful for them. Eights need to work on softening their exterior a little bit. Um, So they, you know, can come across as tough and strong, which is really great. But, you know, just being able to soften their communication and show that empathetic side of them that we know is there. And the nines need to work on really communicating their opinions, their beliefs, using their voice, um, and stepping into that power that they do have. Amazing. I also end the podcast with two questions, Ashton. The first being, what is your favorite quote or the mantra you live by? Um, my business coach always uses this and says, it's not hard, it's new. And so whenever I am, you know, struggling with something or trying to figure something out, I always think like, it's not actually hard. It's just new and I need to learn it and then it won't be hard anymore. So I love that. It's constantly playing in my head. Um, and then if, (laughs) again, you know, entrepreneurship is, isn't, not for the faint. And I can hear my dad also saying, if it was easy, everybody would do it. So I think that um, those are two things that are always, always kind of playing in my head. Mm -hmm. And what books or podcasts on this subject would you recommend to our audience? 
So, of course, I have to recommend my own book, which is called The Enneagram Made Simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really is a guidebook on all nine types and is a really great reference book to learn more and to dive a little bit deeper. But I also recommend The Honest Enneagram by Sarah Jane Case. I think that's a really great one. And then, of course, The Road Back to You, which is a fairly popular Enneagram book. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Ashton. It has been wonderful meeting you. It's been a fantastic conversation. You're such a light in this world. I just love your spirit. Thank you for listening to the Smart Girl Tribe podcast. I am your host, Scarlett V. Clark, award-winning founder and CEO of Smart Girl Tribe, the UK's number one female empowerment organization, host of this top-rated podcast, the Smart Girl Tribe podcast, and author. You are my community, my family, so come and follow along for more female empowerment and personal development in our private Facebook group, the Smart Girl Tribe Society, or on Twitter or Instagram at Smart Girl Tribe.